It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 819 for the 17th of February, 2023. This week, Microsoft OneNote has been around since 2003, and it's one of a small set of applications that I use every single day. OneNote stores all kinds of information and makes finding it easy when you need it. In short circuits, when 16 terabyte solid state drives are selling for more than $2,000, you might be delighted to find one for just $60 on Amazon. You will regret that purchase though. This seems to be the year of the phony prize. All you have to do is fill out a quick survey and you'll receive a $100 gift card or a $200 set of tools or the latest model iPhone. Sadly, they are all scams. And 20 years ago, only on the website, how about a computer that could run Windows XP and still fit in your pocket? That was big news in 2003. Since about 2003, I've said nice things about Microsoft OneNote, and occasionally not-so-nice things. I have tried unsuccessfully to replace it with Evernote, and it continues to be one of just a few applications that I use every single day. The other applications in that category are Thunderbird for email, Vivaldi for web browsing, Messenger, and several utilities that are always running in the background. OneNote 2003, the first version of the application, wasn't included in the Office suite. At $80, the price was a little high. Starting with Office 2007, OneNote was included as part of the Office suite, and now it's free. For best results, users really do need to have the Office suite, but the free version is useful even for those who don't. OneNote saves information in pages that are in sections that are in notebooks. Pages can be any size, images can be inserted anywhere, and there is no standard page layout or structure. That may sound like a recipe for chaos, and it might be, except for the astonishing search function. Actually, two functions, Control-F searches on the current page, and Control-E, the powerhouse search function, searches every page in every section of every notebook. The user interface resembles a tabbed ring binder. The user can type or copy information from other applications. I find it useful to have four notebooks, personal, TechBiter, clients, and software. The TechBiter notebook has sections for program notes, configuration settings, site design, notes about previously reviewed products or services, notes about future reviews, and general reminders. The Program Ideas section has individual pages with tables for programs from 2011 through this year, a checklist page for recording, and details about a variety of other products, services, and people. Two versions of OneNote exist on Windows, OneNote, the standalone version, and OneNote for Windows 10, an app. After trying to push everybody over to the app, Microsoft reversed course last year and made the standalone version the default. The app has a few features that are absent from the standalone version, but it's still missing too many functions that are in the standalone version. My preference is the standalone version, and that's what I'll be describing here. 
There are versions for Windows and Mac OS computers, as well as for Android, iOS, and iPad OS mobile devices. So you can create, edit, search, and view all of your notes in any location where you have an internet connection. Sometimes users paste a screen capture into OneNote and wish they had access to the text on that page. Depending on the amount of text involved, typing it can be tedious. But OneNote has a two-step process that produces good, if not always perfect, results. Right-click the image and choose Copy Text from Picture. Depending on the amount of text, the complexity of the image, and the legibility of the text, there may be a delay while the optical character recognition process runs. After the process is finished, click where you'd like to paste the copied text and press Ctrl-V. Quick, easy, simple. When you want more information about something in a OneNote page, you might open a browser, type the term into a search field, and then view the results. You might, but you don't have to. With the Review tab active, select the term you want more information about and click Smart Lookup. OneNote will open a panel, perform the search, and display the results. On a Windows computer, OneNote installs a component that runs in the notification area, formerly known as the tray. Clicking the icon opens OneNote, but the better way to use this feature is with the keyboard. Windows key Shift-N opens OneNote, if it's not running, it starts OneNote, and Win-Alt-N starts a quick note. When you create a quick note, you don't need to think about which notebook section or page is the appropriate location for the information. Just type or use your finger or pen to ink a bit of text and then close the dialog box. Later, you can open the quick note section in OneNote and move the information to where it belongs. You can also change the default action by right-clicking the icon in the notification area. I use TechSmith's Snagit for screen captures, but anyone who doesn't have Snagit will find the OneNote option to take a screen clipping useful, so you can change the default option to open the screen clipper function. A clipping can be placed on the Windows clipboard, be sent to OneNote's QuickNote function, or placed on the current active OneNote page. An autosave function wasn't invented for OneNote, but OneNote was one of the first programs to take advantage of the technology. Changes are saved immediately and automatically. I experimented with Evernote a few years ago and quickly went back to OneNote because of its superior text formatting options. It's not Word or even Excel, but the formatting capabilities are more than adequate for its intended purpose. The application is perfect for jotting down notes using the keyboard or a camera, either still or video, or a stylus. Copy and paste information from emails, websites, documents, all sorts of reminders of important information. And tags. This is the feature that Microsoft ruined when it was pushing the app version of OneNote. Full tag functionality may eventually come to the app version, but eventually isn't good enough for those of us who have used tags for years. Fortunately, Microsoft listened to users and decided that the standalone version should be the primary OneNote application, at least for now. Any item in OneNote can have one or more associated tags. Tags can be defined by the user, and the first nine tags can be applied from the keyboard using Control-1 through Control-9. Each tag can control the color of an item's text and the background, as well as place an icon.
I use tags to track books that I'm reading. One for reserved, two for acquired, three for reading, and five for complete. And if I have a book that's so bad I can't even read it, uh, that one gets a six. For the TechBiter podcast, some of the icons have different meanings. Tag 2 indicates that a page has been created. 3 shows that I'm working on a program segment. When the segment is complete, it gets a 5 tag. And I use Tag 7 to show that a segment, or the entire podcast, has been recorded. I also use Tag 8 when the week's newsletter is complete. The point is that OneNote has only one set of tags, so you might need to be a bit creative when you apply them. No matter what information you want to store or how you want to organize it, OneNote is an excellent choice, particularly for those who already use Microsoft's Office Suite or Office 365. With web access and apps for iPad, iPad OS, and Android devices, OneNote is available just about everywhere. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. short circuits, who wouldn't like a gigantic 16 terabyte solid state disk drive, particularly if you can get it for just $60 instead of $2,400? Perhaps you suspect something might be a little bit fishy about that offer, but there it is on Amazon. Two items were adjacent, a Sabrent 16 terabyte external SSD in an aluminum case. Sabrent is a well-known and trusted brand. The price, $2,400 decreased from $2,900. But below the Sabrent device is another 16-terabyte external hard drive in a slim red case, and it's priced at just $59.99, down from $63.99. Oh, wait, there's a $5 delivery fee. The no-name drive has a single review, one star with a title of garbage. Well, that's a big surprise, isn't it? Even an external mechanical hard drive that size will cost close to $300. So how can somebody manufacture a more costly SSD with 16 terabytes for just 20% of the cost of the bargain-priced mechanical drives? Well, the answer, of course, is they can't. It is a scam. At least Amazon will refund your money when you return the drive. When I checked, Amazon had at least half a dozen of these crap drives at prices ranging from $44 to $130. Most of them had just one or two reviews. One-star ratings were common. But some scammers are smart enough to find ways to inflate their scores. If somebody offered you a brand-new 2023 Lexus ES for $10,516, you'd know it was a scam, wouldn't you? Yet sometimes we think we'll get a great bargain on an electronic device. How? The old saying applies here. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. The scammers who sell these things count on people not recognizing the scam. 
The drives will be far slower than advertised, but you might not notice that unless you run tests. And as for 16 terabytes, most of these fake drives have no more than 64 gigabytes of storage, and what's inside the case isn't an SSD, but a secure digital card that hides behind firmware. The firmware lies to the operating system. Attach it to the computer, and it may report 16 terabytes of space, but you'll never fit 16 terabytes of data on it. But then again, how many people have 16 terabytes of data? You won't notice the problem until you try to exceed 64 gigabytes on that little card. It might be several months until buyers realize that they can't store much data on the device, and by then it's too late to return it. Or maybe they just figure they're doing something wrong and don't bother to report the scam. Or that nobody at Amazon bothers to check out suspicious products. If you want to add storage to a computer, shop around, but be careful with low-priced items. Look at prices from reputable manufacturers. Samsung, Kingston, Crucial, SanDisk, Western Digital, Sabrent, and such. The prices charged by these manufacturers will vary a little bit depending on each device's specifications and the manufacturer's reputation. Then assume that anything priced at less than about 80% of the lowest price there is probably a scam, particularly if it's a no-name brand. I get a lot of email. You probably do too, and much of it is simply junk. A spam catcher examines the messages before they get to my email program and flags most of the junk, but some still get through. When I'm bored, I sometimes turn the spam killer off just to see what's out there. This seems to be the year of the phony survey. A message claiming to be from Netflix wants me to take a two-minute survey and they will give me a smartwatch wireless earbuds, a gift card, an iPhone, or an Android phone. But the messages from line says it's from the T-Mobile Reward Office, T-Mobile Reward Office at utility-relief.us, and it originated from an IP address in Canada. A message claiming to be from the Southwest Rewards Office tells me I'll get a $100 gift card if I take a short survey, but that message also originated in Canada, which is neither Southwest nor the place where the airline is headquartered. Well, okay, truth in geography here, Canada might be considered Southwest of Greenland. And if I hurry, I can get $250 off a home warranty and two months for free. The message claims to be from Service Plus, but the sender has an address at a domain that's registered in India. What do these messages all have in common other than arriving just a few hours apart on the same day? Eh, they're all scams. Two messages said that they were from Ace Hardware and wanted me to have an expensive DeWalt or Makita drill set, even though the Makita illustration was for a circular saw. One message was from landmv.us, and it directs me to a survey on a website in China. The other had a from address at taxes-relief.us, and it also has its website in China. 
A message from the Lowe's Reward Office uses a mailing address at xcouncil.us to tell me that I can claim a $184 Stanley Mixed Tool Set for free if I fill out their survey. Would you be surprised if I told you the survey is on a website in China? Walmart would like me to have a Roomba i7 for free. The message comes from mail-ins.us. And the Target website is, of course, in China. Oh, and there was a message from the Verizon Rewards Department with a from address at saveolot.us and a domain hosted in China. They want to give me a chance to win an iPhone 14 Pro, shipping not included. And this is done in cooperation with thank you for shopping with us. Something seemed like it was missing there. A symbol associated with Walmart was there, but somebody left the name Walmart out of the thank you line. Why do people fall for these clearly bogus scams? I mentioned some clues, such as the location of the website and a foreign IP address, but those kinds of clues do require a bit of work to find. Every one of the messages I've mentioned offered clear and obvious clues that require nothing more than examining the message with a little bit of skepticism. Would Verizon send a message from saveolot.us? Would Walmart send a message from smart-ins.us? Would Lowe's send a message from xcouncil.us? Would a message from Netflix be sent by T-Mobile from Canada? Would Southwest Airlines send a message from trka99.us? And would Service Plus send a message from teiqea.beauty? Well, the obvious answer in every case is no. Let me repeat that with emphasis. No. Beyond that, the offers are just simply too good to be true. An iPhone 14 Pro, a Roomba i7, a nearly $200 tool set, or a $100 gift card just for completing a quick survey? I don't think so. Take a moment to examine messages in your inbox. Are there spelling errors? Odd capitalizations? Subject-verb mismatches? Missing words? You don't need to be a techie geek to spot most scams. A tiny bit of skepticism goes a long way. Some good things are free. 20 years ago, on the TechBiter Worldwide website, for example, this week we look back to 2003 when small computers were beginning to appear in shirt pockets. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. Mm -hmm.